I'd like to propose a toast. Hello and welcome to Before Brunch. I'm Megan Cassidy. And I'm Cassie Delaney. And we are your weekly celebrity pop culture arts gossip podcast. And we go live on Sunday mornings. We talk about all the things that you're going to talk about with your pals at brunch. Whether that's in pop culture, the news, tech, online culture, politics, whatever it may be. We talk about it, we dissect it, we ask questions about it and we try to make sense of it so it makes sense for our lives and therefore yours. And guys, we're now on video. So Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, that's great. But you can watch us on Spotify, um, video podcasts for Spotify. All you have to do is search for us before brunch and click on the episode and the video will pop up. You don't have to do anything fancy. There we are. A nice idea is to put it on the L Google Home at home while you're busy and around the kitchen. Do you put it on your telly? Well, mm. I don't personally, but I've heard tell of people on their, no, on their Google Home device, on their little, like, Google Home, like, you know, the little I screen? I don't have one. No, I don't know what it is. Uh, it's like, hello, okay, Google. Uh, but it's a play screen. thing. Yeah, Very it's good. a screen. And you can watch us. Um, on the screen uh, as, as my mother does oh, very every cute. Sunday yeah. very cute that's an option today we are chatting about um, a few things really we're chatting about the Irish podcasting landscape shockingly we're talking about media <laughs> um, it is a passion project of ours yeah and I want to talk a little bit about why there's been such a prolific rise in Irish podcasting, who's doing well, who we're enjoying, and also the changing landscape of the Irish media from old media into new media and what that means for how we consume content, Um, but mainly with the focus on who we like. Yeah, I think we should caveat we're a little bit giddy today, I feel. There's a giddiness. There's a giddiness. We're not feeling well. Okay, we we just said we weren't going to tell anybody. Oh, I'm I'm going to say that we're not feeling. Okay, we're not feeling great. We're not feeling great. It's not COVID. Producer Ferg is also not feeling great. So we've kind of started to spiral a little bit. Um, yeah. But no, it's not COVID. But it's just more of a general like hypochondriac spiral. Yeah. Attack. Yeah. We're just dying. <laughs> we're just both dying. <laughs> There's an ambulance <laughs> on the way. Um, but yeah, I think what inspired this chat was there was something very rare happened recently in Irish media culture. And it's rare in recent years. And that is that there was a viral moment that mm. linked everyone that everyone was talking about across every platform, across every demo. Um, and it's something we haven't seen in a while. And that's GAA Catfish. It was brilliant. Courtesy of the two Johnnies. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure everyone who listens to podcasts has heard the GAA Catfish story told across a couple of um, the two Johnnies episodes, uh, expanded into conversation on Twitter and other online platforms. There was, you know, those connecting dots joined photos. There was diagrams of keeping up with the story. It was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But like that, like you're saying, it's just a, a, an incredible viral moment that we don't often see. I do feel that podcasting is the thing that is bringing people back together. Like there are cult followings around certain Irish podcasts. Yeah, it, there is. And like the thing about podcasting for me, right? So we started with uh, traditional media TV radio it's linear and it's like a megaphone mm-hmm. and it's just the institutions and the RTEs 
broadcasting whatever they like whenever they decide and you're at their mercy then we had the era of like 2014 2015 2016 the news sites um aggregate news sites aggregate is the word i was just gonna say because we started to there was we needed something to bridge between the tv and the radio and this online social media world that was bubbling up and those sites like the joe.ie's love and dublin's her.ie they were that bridge between traditional and social media and it was an aggregate so we Mm -hmm. were bringing it all together and there were loads of viral moments back then and remember Pamela Joyce actually was one of the first viral moments that we shared on her.ie she did the Irish Mammy yeah on YouTube and that became a viral video and we at her.ie shared that because that's what used to happen something someone would go viral they didn't have their own audience because we didn't have individual creators and these sites would aggregate this and filter it and and showcase and curate the viral moments it was very much web one it was was like one platforms a gate like gate kept gate kept Gatekeepers, yeah. So they were gatekeepers. The idea of Web One is that there were certain people who had access and power, and they decided who saw what and when, and they had the large audiences. So as we moved out of Web One, Web the initial Web One would have been the the height of traditional media, and um, papers, broadcasters, etc., radio, which is a really important one. And then the towards the end of Web One into Web Two was the aggregate news sites that yeah. amassed great massive audiences on the likes of Facebook yeah. um, and they had the platforms then to profile or platform other potential people. As we moved into Web 2, uh, content sharing and content creation was more democratized and we had platforms where anyone could rise to success, yeah. Instagram, etc. And now we're in the phase of moving out of Web 2 and into Web 3, which is a different conversation for another podcast. Yeah, but the, there's that weird moment happened first, I think, where you're starting to see the Joe.ie's and those wane a little bit and the publishers mm. wane and the individual creators come up and it's like the disaggregation of content. Yeah. And then we've got all these like influencers and content creators with millions of followers and nobody's ever heard of them. And, you know, I haven't heard of the content creators you're following you haven't Mm. heard of mine because it's completely disseminated now and they're really individual experiences but now so that's one two three the fourth step it feels in Ireland right now there's something happening where we're all coming back to shared media moments Mm. around Irish podcasts and it's really nice it feels really good it's less of like a singular experience like you're probably if you're listening to this podcast listening to it with headphones yeah and you're on your own or maybe you're in the car but it's not the way daytime TV used to be where you're in the kitchen and you know Elaine on TV3 is keeping you company and part of the family so it's a very different experience but the two Johnnies I think they cracked it big time oh they really did and it was already a podcast with a massive massive listenership I think if we hark back to kind of understanding the media landscape in Ireland we can kind of explain a little bit why podcasting is having such a such a moment Um, and it's not even a moment now but why podcasting is becoming increasingly popular and it ties into where we are culturally and where we are technologically and legally with broadcasting so Ireland had actually quite an interesting concentration of media ownership 
Um, so much so that there was independent reports generated on it being a concern. So if you look at um, something like the Center for Media Pluralism and Media Freedom, which is based in Florence, they research different countries and give them a score based on kind of high risk, low risk of media pluralism. And obviously the idea of media pluralism is that it's multiple media sites or media outlets are owned by individuals, yeah. which is a threat to objectivity, is a is a threat to kind of freedom of speech. It's the idea that there's a too strong a gatekeeper mm. in place to manage too much of the media. We, like an example everyone will remember is when Rupert Murdoch was trying to buy Sky. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So in 2016, a report on Ireland published by the CM CMPF in Florence found that um, Ireland was ranked really significantly high. Um, it, it was it rated in excess of 0.7. Anything considered between zero and one is the scores are between zero and one and anything recorded above 0.6 is high risk. And we were in excess of 0.7. So this is 2016, back when Dennis O'Brien had a significant number of shares in INM and Communicorp. Now, which has since been rectified. But I think that um, you can see why for a really long time, I mean, 2016 is recent enough in mm. terms of how things change and how new ownership might filter down into how a publication feels. Yeah. But back at that time because there was such a such a significant concentration of maybe one particular voice or a certain tone of voice coming across a large percentage of Irish media it felt really homogenous it felt really monotone and there were you know a plethora of different issues that came with that one of them particularly was the, the high level of male voices on Irish radio disproportionately high compared to the amount of female presenters we were rece receiving and then also that our media reflected kind of a slightly conservative tone mm. so podcasts are not are, are give people access to media that can be a lot more liberal a lot more risky a lot um funnier a lot more individualized a lot more niche because they're not governed by the same legalities as traditional broadcasting is so traditional media newspapers radio tv are governed by the broadcasting authority and there's certain rules and obligations they have to fulfill um, there's also other interesting aspects as to why traditional media is limited and that's you know typically it's very expensive to produce t traditional media it's costly to print a magazine it's costly to print a newspaper it's extremely costly to create something for tv <clears throat> so with digital media and the rise of new media it gave it gave smaller audiences access to their niche content and i think that's why it is performing very, very well. A roundabout point of saying, wow. <laughs> I think that's why. But I think that this, I'll just go home. I think that this <laughs> growth in podcasting is, is a reaction to what has been a very monotone Irish media for too many years. And yeah. now we're all getting excited about what we can see. And Irish podcasters finally have the freedom to kind of create the content that we're not, that we've never seen across traditional media in Ireland. The end. Thank you very much. I totally agree. Like I have nothing to say <laughs> back. Um, <laughs> so let's just, let's just list off. All right, some I'll see you next week. <laughs> so in summarization, all oh, media to, sum out, to summarize, <laughs> media gatekeepers are gone. Uh, <laughs>
And uh, I have here actually the role of the media question. The cliff mark. notes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what, Cassie? That was lovely and very true. And there was loads Thanks. of loads of points in there, there that we could of kick off a conversation on. Would you like to pick one? <laughs> I'm going to go in with maybe like the fact the freedom to create yeah. media online cheaply, quickly. Great one. Yeah. Because that was something that became really apparent in the pandemic and blind boy boat club. I struggle. <laughs> I struggle calling people by nicknames. So I actually struggle to call blind boy blind boy. I yeah. want to call him David Chambers. Okay. Um, he had an episode about the weird relationship between mainstream media and new media yeah. or what they call new media, which would be podcasts. And he lives in that new media sphere, although he has a lot of touch points in mainstream media. And he was saying how funny it was when we hit this pandemic and everyone was sent home and these broadcasters who've been sitting pretty in studios with budgets and lighting and taxi to the mm -hmm. studio and hair and makeup. And then the researcher hands them a brief document. They've got all their questions, um, you know, printed off for them. They sit into their chair and they broadcast. And that's a specific skill and mm -hmm. Uh, blind boy was not he certainly wasn't uh, sneering at them or anything but it's a very different skill set from what was expected them in, in the pandemic and they all had to go home and broadcast from their hot presses mm -hmm. and that was the moment where the creators really shone and it became very apparent that you know you can do this without all the budget. Yeah. The important piece is the content. Mm -hmm. And it really fosters specialism because you've got all these niche interests now catered for. Yeah. And the co content creators that are, you know, really rising to the top are the ones that are specialists in their areas. They've got mm. unique knowledge rather than just media people, which is actually what we probably were or aspiring to be. In 2015, media personalities we were where you were thrown people. into different topics all the time. Yeah. And that's that is the real difference. If you look at something now, I, I'm I'll touch on this slightly because I'm going to to speak in depth with um, Louise McSharry about this on catch up with Louise McSharry. Uh, and it is what happened over the last couple of days on Liveline. Mm. So Joe Duffy has come under fire because he was facilitating a conversation on Liveline about gender, gender recognition, the Gender Recognition Act, the potential um, removal of the word, word woman from the Maternity Act. And he, his job as a broadcaster for this, especially for the national broadcaster, is to remain objective and facilitate debate or facilitate a conversation about between people. Mm. What happened was it was very clear that he was not on the side of transgender people, trans rights and did not understand gender identity, nor did he understand or attempt to understand the difference between gender as a social construct and sex. And what resulted was an incredibly awkward and offensive conversation towards a large, a large portion of society because he hadn't done his research. He didn't have an interest in it and he didn't want to know about it. And that's the kind of thing about old school traditional media and broadcasters is the role is different. You know, if you are going to be a presenter in that world or you're going to be a journalist in that world, your job is to facilitate the sharing of information. Yeah, it's to help people understand the world better by taking information and disseminating it in a way that's comprehensive to people. So you take yeah. large swaths of information and you help people to consume it and yeah. understand it. Whereas now the role of those specialists and it's not a it's not a 
assumed role it's something that they are you know happily stepping into is that they are specialists in their arenas and yeah. instead of being people who just want to facilitate conversations between other people they're the educators and mm. they're the people worth listening to and they have the authority and they have yeah. an earned authority on their subjects because mm. they've it's often their lived experience and you can see why someone might relate to those people better than someone who has no lived experience is being paid the big bucks and is poorly facilitating a conversation yeah and you know, you'll find that the TV networks or stations, um, that's their bragging point is that we cover everything. And some of our talk shows, they'll say we cover everything from food to fashion to gardening to this to that all in one show. And like mm. that's the that's the sell. Whereas now I think media consumption has just moved in a direction where you want something very specific. Mm. You want your specialists and the skill of being a media creator. God, you have to have more skills than you ever have before because oh, now you need to be, you know, you have to have students studio setup you need to have production you need to be editing your own stuff you need to be promoting your own stuff mm-hmm. to get your own stuff out there um so there's a bigger skill set than ever but also the ones that are rising to the top are the ones that have that like we've said it before they're the ones that were doing this before there were any cameras yeah. and that's the more compelling content is the stuff that's born from passion and curiosity mm. rather than I'm a media person I want to be on TV and you know whatever the script is whatever show you give me then great but if you actually look at the schedule now you won't know half of the presenters the mm. way you would have say back in Exposé's heyday the Glenda Gilsons of the world like they mm. were big Irish celebrities they were and I think that that's because um, culturally how we respond to media and media consumption ebbs and flows so we go through periods where it's very personality driven then it's very topic driven then it kind of goes back and forth between personality topic brand etc so you go through periods where you're like I'll just read whatever is published on the cut say I know Mm. a lot of women love the cut I absolutely adore it and I will read topics that I'm not not that I'm not interested in but I will enter into topics because they're written about on the cut and I like the tone of the cut and I like the, the writers who write for the cut then you have the kind of I will follow, you know, I will listen to Louise McSharry's podcast because I like Louise as a presenter and I like her tone and I like her topics and what she's going to come with. But I really like her as a person. So that's more the personality driven stuff like that. Mm. Um, And I think we're in we're certainly in that period now where we're driven by a combination of personality driven and topic. The heyday of RTE and the heyday of traditional media is personality driven. It's you Mm. have a you know a the big talk show host it's the saturday night with jay leno it's the you know it's though it's that kind of media type and yeah. we've, we've long moved out of that but like you said there is a there is a fear emanating from traditional media because they can't adapt to new media in the same way and i don't think it's a skill thing i don't think it's and i don't think it's a lack of want to adapt to new media but they can't legally adapt to new media because they're bound by certain criteria and they're bound by certain obligations being broadcasters and being in the medium that they are so you know you do see a lot of creators and individuals often exiting those kind of you know exiting the the big brand media houses in favor of going solo not because of a financial endeavor although often they can make more money as an independent creator than they can working in traditionally low paid roles in a newsroom Mm. but also because it gives them the freedom to be able to create what they want it's certainly something we considered I mean we've had conversations about this off mic many times about 
what it was like working in a newsroom and how you have to meet and constantly thread that line between building audiences, what is commercial and what is working for that specific type of audience of that brand and that often not meet, not matching your own personal values as a creator. Do you know the story of about the two Johnnies? Like about I'm only fascinated. Together. Yeah. No. I'm fascinated with them now in the last two weeks. They've obviously been at the top of the charts for the last years, few years. Yeah. I have never, I just didn't think it looked like my kind of thing. So I never clicked in and listened to it. Um, Johnny B was a hurl maker and Johnny Smacks was a butcher in super value. And they were asked to chair a GAA fundraiser event together. They were obviously mates. They chaired it together and they were a bit of banter and they were like, feck, we'll, we'll start a podcast. And six months later, they were going, they were full time. So yeah, my question a, to they you, make a mint. my question to you is why did the two Johnnies take off so much and we still haven't? Well, Megan, we went Genuinely. down a different road. Well, we go down a different road, right? We're operating in two different kind of areas. First of all, our market for this podcast has always been the most saturated. Society yeah. and culture is where everyone wants to be. And I think that... Um, consistency is a problem. Consistency <laughs> has been an issue for us over the years. So the two Johnnies are on an episode like 400 and something. They're on 200 and something, yeah. 200 and something, yeah. right. And if you include their Patreon back out, like they've probably produced about 400 episodes, right? Yeah. We swan around calling ourselves podcasters having made, I think in total, approximately 36 episodes of this podcast over the course of about five years. That's very fair. Like It's fair, God, isn't it? God, when you look at that in black and white, that's... Yeah. yeah. We took a three-year break there at one point. We did. Yeah. yeah we so, did the things going on. We just we did. Or explore other avenues as so, well. and we've other things going on we've another we've a whole other business that we'll yeah. talk about at the end because it's of interest to this kind of thing but no like before brunch cuts through it really does and that's why we brought it back it, now, it cuts through it, people listen to it every week mm. and we've got listeners um, despite our terrible flakiness and inconsistency but when you look at the two Johnnies this is extraordinary this is yeah. three arena sold out tours now they're like being they probably were begged to go onto 2FM to take over drive time we all know there was a little bit of storming when they but first that happens, landed I think, with the difference in creators versus broadcasters and journalists exactly. and that's not to be I'm not saying that creators need to be journalists to do well mm. there are just different limitations and boundaries that apply to one and do not apply to the other that are actually incredibly frustrating but mm. that's that idea going back again to gatekeeping yeah that there is there's also a certain attitude i think of like a hierarchy in media that i think might answer why sometimes podcasts don't get the same attention that the national broadcast does it's the same reason that people who self-publish books aren't regarded with the same reverence that authors who get publishing deals are and it's idea that like some a gatekeeper getting past a gatekeeper sort of asserts a certain level of authority yeah that an editor choosing your book mm. means that you are better than everyone else who just goes out there and does it on their own and that I think really needs to change because I don't believe that's true no it's not it's that curation bit but with the two Johnny's example where they landed in 2FM in that case while gatekeeping it's not a positive term we're not uh, gatekeeping we're not referring to it in a positive way but in that case the guys did need to look at how they were addressing certain issues, yeah. what you can say, what you can't. And sometimes there is that safety element to being um, 
in a studio and it's kind of vetted it feels yeah um and it was like hold on guys you can't actually say that because that offends 50 percent of the population so maybe watch that and they turned around and went you know what we actually can't say that it's not who we are it's not who we want to be thanks rte for giving us the slap on the wrist which never would have happened went on their own platforms and then we have obviously the joe rogan example of joe going rogue um and spotify having to clamp down on that so there are cases where you do know when you tune into the radio yeah you're probably not gonna hear you know guests that are outrageously offensive or well you know you do do, because it happened it happened today yesterday on Liveline and Joe Duffy with ignorant guests who were ill-informed on a topic yeah I think though that you you do generally have a few more chefs in the kitchen with radio and tv and you have someone in a suit generally saying we best not say that and they're probably people with experience who've gone through yeah. a couple of different iterations of things where they know what can happen if there's a little bit of fallout. Yeah. And it's more a precaution than a an editing thing. But in this case, it was the audience that took them to task. It was the audience yeah. that came in and said, 2FM, this is not good enough, which doesn't happen in your own echo chamber with your own audience. If True. I'm the Two Johnny podcast and I've only got my own listeners, I can say whatever I want because they're here for me. Yeah. But they were taken to task by the audience and then the execs in RTE were like, yeah, you can't, we have to apologize for that 100%. Mm. And it kind of happened that way around. So we take, we, we hold, we have different standards for people who appear on traditional versus yeah we do completely you know absolutely do um i think that i think when you look at something like the two johnnies and why it's successful let's talk about some of like the other um success things that make content successful right and it's Mm. generally like shock value we know ga catfish was shock it was shocking it it was really really shocking and that's why it kind of broke through it was a good gasp oh my God, kind of moment. It had it, it all. just kept going. Even the pictures that you could go and um, yeah. go and see what your one looked like. You had your visual aids, like it lived on all these social media channels because it happened on social media. Yeah, it has. And it had all that discovery and like also the the relatability of it being in Ireland. You know, people were named, uh, whatever about that, we can talk about that another time, but People, everyone was trying to find out because it was like the likelihood of you knowing someone who was impacted or knowing of it or like knowing yeah. the places they were talking about. It was just, there was that familiarity and shock value and it was yeah. the perfect marriage of the two. They told the story very well. Oh, the storytelling was incredible. Even Johnny B's opening, like this is the story of the GAA catfish. Like, you know, this is going to be good. Yeah. You knew that it was going to be good he set it out he had it done in chapters he is an yeah. expert storyteller it was brilliant and the Irishness of trying to figure out which inter-county footballer because we're all obsessed with the inter-county footballers yeah. around the country even the, G, the the J won off to America like it was we'd all we've all done it all know like we just you could see every aspect of the story and how it would happen and I think that's it shock value familiarity Vogue and Joanne Vogue and Joanne my therapist ghosted me. Familiarity, hilarious, like just, it's so funny. Their relationship, I think. Their is relationship the one is yeah. just brilliant. That kind of, you know, we've often studied in here, we are a podcast production studio. What makes podcasts really work? Yeah. Really, really work. Because we've done all sorts of things. We've done podcasts with the big names, we've done podcasts with nobodies, we've done podcasts that are niche, we've done broad topic podcasts. You know, we've done 
anything and everything we can we can attempt here. And the only thing that I know for certain that makes a podcast really work is the familiarity between the two hosts. There yeah. has to be a strong relationship between the hosts for it to really work. That kind of not not even banter, but just they have to make you feel part of the conversation. And that's a real skill that not very many people get right. Mm. Do you like like one person podcasts? Um, I do when it's like a specialist topic or a limited series. Yeah. Or when they're interview led on specialist topics. Like I don't think Blind Boy, I'm obviously obsessed. I don't do you like think, Blind Boy? I like Blind Boy. I don't feel like he could ever do that in a studio setup with a producer because he wouldn't be, the things he comes out with, it has to just be him on his own in mm. his bedroom feeling like he's talking to himself because it wouldn't get past any sort of production. It wouldn't get yeah. past an edit. And that's the beauty of it. It's such a ramble and it's so long winded and windy and he could only do it on his own. And I feel like the room is really dark. Sometimes I feel like I hear someone else laughing in the room. Maybe. But that is content that is born of this. Like you listen to it on your own and you create it on your own. Yeah. Like, and I do love that. I've this a really intimate but that, I suppose that suits different types of people as well. Like there's a there's a thing about podcasts, the parasocial relationships that they create that you don't see across other media. And yeah. that's the sense of feeling like, you know, the hosts personally, because the way you consume podcasts is so intimate. Yeah. So you often put on a podcast, put your phone in your pocket or in your car because you're driving or on the kitchen table because you're cooking mm. or, you know, somewhere because you're cleaning. So it's one of the only types of media you consume without actually being like without looking at a screen. Yeah. So it gets you at your most intimate moments. Podcasting oh. gets you where no other media type can, because even before you go to sleep, when you wake up in the morning, because those touch points you have with it make, you know, consuming a podcast as an audio medium means that you're totally hands free. Yeah. And people have integrated into walks. Yeah. You know, whatever else. And it's a beautiful way to get it. But in doing that, and because you're not looking at a screen, the screen creates that fourth wall. A screen, you know, you're not. Yeah. You, you, it's not immersive. Except for video podcasts on Spotify. Video podcasts on Spotify, and especially us. If you prop us up on your table, it feels like you're sitting right there. And that's great. We but you can it. still bring us with you. It's still your personal device. Like, whereas I think you're, what you're really, your point is, it, this used to be Oprah Winfrey and Ellen DeGeneres and these talk show daytime TV hosts who people felt were part of their family and mm -hmm. that they knew them intimately and they saw them through their day. Like 13 million people a day used to tune into Oprah Winfrey, like in yeah. the heyday of daytime and TV. And now it's 13 million people listening to Before Brunch on a Listen Sunday to Before morning. Brunch. Now, because you can take us with you, it's a natural progression of like, these are the personalities that sort of punctuate my day and are a part of my life and part of my routine and it makes sense that because we have these guys on our phone we're not maybe as interested in tuning into the daytime mm -hmm. talk show like it was a bad year for daytime TV last year yeah. Ellen DeGeneres gone Dr. Oz gone but it's a it's all the big ones the, all the other ones there is over the last couple of years it's it's predictable because as traditional media moves away mm. as we as as we as consumers move away from traditional media and into 
web too and into personalized content consumption and niche consumption and also with digital consumption of niche subjects you often find a community around that as well so it's not just Mm. your relationship to the podcast host or your relationship to the content creator it's your relationship to the other people who consume that content because the idea is that the creep dive is a great example of that yes there's brilliant communities around that so we've managed to foster an absolutely incredible community around the creep dive because um for for different reasons we have a private community behind a paywall we have a um we have live events so people come together in person over lockdown especially we ran consistent live events and we have a significant interaction with fans on social so there is someone who manages a different type of social there's three of us on that and between us all we make sure that there's interaction with fans there's a natural interaction because generally people are sending us stories because they enjoy the podcast they enjoy the stories that we tell and they send them back and then you it creates a conversation when someone sends you a, a gripping story yeah. you generally have a few lines back and forth about it because it's usually absolutely crazy and I think that's a nice little mechanism in the two Johnny's podcast as well that story stories, piece yeah very good get people to send in mm-hmm. their stories read them out it feels very community focused like it does replace your Facebook's um yeah the your comment for, section it's your natural for and I think um, I think that's something that's really worth building on when you talk to a content creator now and we work with a lot of content creators and advising them how to build out a brand and how to build out a sustainable future in content creation. The top, I suppose, the top things that I always say to content creators are understanding whether your audience is your product or your customers. That's Mm. really key. So if you're going to be a content creator who monetizes your content through advertising, you have to understand that your audience is your product and you are monetizing their attention. So you need to be considerate of what you advertise to them and then how you cultivate and build those relationships outside of that advertising. Mm. But if you're if you decide, which I think is a much more sustainable way to build a media company or build a media brand, if you decide that you're audience is going to be your customer that gives you much more freedom to create content that you know they will enjoy it naturally creates that two-way relationship because you have to listen to their interests and you have to take on their feedback they're your customer and you are taking their money and it is valuable and you have to you know you have to consider their viewpoint in it and um that i think it, it is a really interesting way to create media because i think it means that content creators will be able to find an audience for their niche and their content. I mean, everything has an audience. It's just how you get it to people is the important thing. Mm. So content creators can find their specialized audience and monetize through that way. Audiences are generally happier because their attention isn't being monetized, which is kind of like, yeah, it's it's not a nice way to consume things. And when you don't when it's have done that, badly, when you don't have that. And if you're paying a content creator for their content because you support their content, you generally like them as a person. And there's more trust in that relationship because you know that their income depends on your input yeah. and your financial support um, and I think there's more pre- like a more appreciation from the content creator to what that community means it's, just, it's like that with the creep dive you know that has been entirely monetized by audience participation and audience support and we don't take that for granted at any point it's an, it's an incredible achievement to be able to sustain you know three people's you know generally three people's salaries on the support from the audience which is um it's it's no small feat and it's something that we really appreciate mm. and i think this is a natural segue into just a quick i, I suppose mention for our company our, our our tech startup outcaster and what we're trying to do which is 
to help content creators transition into subscription-led businesses by providing the technical infrastructure to allow them to do that. So with Outcaster, content creators, publishers, educators, media providers can quickly build an app, brand it as they want, you know, totally own that and own the relationship with their audiences and sell the content direct to the audience member. In return, then the audience member gets to consume all of their content, whether it's podcasts, videos, articles or whatever else in one place with one payment and then access that community often, you know, privately within that app as well. So we're really about building out these small niche ecosystems for creators and fans yeah and 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 the, the i suppose the flip side is also not the flip side on the same side we're all on the same team but a, another key aspect of those the beauty of outcaster is removing those gatekeepers is removing yeah. those the necessity for those big media houses the commissioning editors the big budgets and a, a perfect example i always say back to people is i adored the oa i absolutely loved it and i know that that had a really cult following small in terms of what was being consumed on Netflix but a really significant cult following and because that was a a series that was commissioned by Netflix and turned away from a few other media houses and you know production agencies or um, distributors it did not get renewed for season three and it it absolutely it just breaks my heart like it ended on kind of an interesting cliffhanger I was really geared up for season three and then we still haven't got it. Years later, we've never gotten another season of the OA. Mm. But if you can provide creators and even production companies of that standard with the technology to distribute the media themselves to their niche audiences, they'll make more money off the OA season three by doing it on Outcaster than they would have by doing it on Netflix, you know? And it harps back to this wonderful idea that we often reference of a thousand true fans. Then in order to sustain a living now as a content creator, as a publisher, you no longer need to be working for one of the big broadcasters. You no longer need to be working in traditional media. You can do it on your own. You can do the production on your own. It's quite cheap or get a small team behind you. But if you can reach 1000 true fans who are willing to pay you four or five euro every single month, you can sustain a really healthy living. Thank you, Cassie. (laughs) Thank you, Megan. I'm out of breath now. No, everything you said is very, very true. Um, Okay, so that's us for this week. We will be back next week with more... Media. (laughs) Probably where media meets kind of culture. That would be a good place for us to chat about. We might talk about habits and other moments. (laughs) Moments are...